Hi, my name is John Light, and I've spent over 20 years working throughout all corners of the recruiting world. Our podcast, Drowning in the Tech Talent Pool, is a resource to help you stay afloat and get ahead of your competition. Hi, and welcome to Drowning in the Tech Talent Pool. I've got with me today Jamie Lee, Chief Information Officer at EcoBat. Did I say that right, Jamie? Because I know it's it's like economy and battery or something put together. Yeah, it's EcoBat for sure. Well, thanks for taking the time out uh, to join us. And I'm curious to get started because, you know, as we, as we kind of enter in with people and people engage with this podcast, I think it's always important to set context. And, and, mm. and in my world, context is... You know, it's kind of like looking at a picture in a frame, you know, in the right place so you understand it, you know. And so I was hoping you could give us a rundown of, of your journey, if you will, to where you are today and and maybe an overview of some of the challenges you see out in the marketplace and where you think things are going to go. I think uh, and and for what it's worth, I didn't know Ecobat. Hmm. Uh, when 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 we first connected, so I don't know if there's something you might want to say about the company or, or throw it out there. Y'all do some interesting stuff. I think it's very relevant in today's not just in today's economy, but in today's uh, cultural context here in the U.S. for sure. Well, I love talking about our company because we have a very significant role in the world and in society uh, in terms of sustainable. Uh, what they call the circular economy of, of batteries mm-hmm. and the metals and materials that go into batteries. And um, I've heard I heard some numbers recently. I think globally, we're the largest battery recycler. Um, so the world's full of batteries. You've got them in your cell phones. You've got them in your cars. They're in all sorts of devices, appliances, hand tools, and the like uh, globally. So batteries are only going to pl- proliferate. So the numbers I heard were on the lead-acid battery side, we may recycle upwards of over 100 million batteries a year. And 100 so million? 100 million. That's a big number, right? Yeah. So you think about that coming back through our facilities and going back out to our customers' hands in terms of new metal or, or, or um, recycled metal, recycled plastics and, and the like. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that is being kept outside of a landfill. And so mm-hmm. when you think about the cities and the growth of the populations and where the landfills are going, you know, there's a real opportunity here to reuse what we have in the system already. Uh, by the way of metals and chemistries and, and batteries and so forth, rather than mining new material from the earth. Uh, mm-hmm. So we kind of call it urban mining. Uh, so EcoBat is is one of the largest, if not the largest, on the lead side. And we're probably in the top seven or eight in, when it comes to lithium. You're, I don't know if you drive an EV, John, but uh, some, some people are buying those and, and, and starting to use them. Um, and so the electrification of things Maybe are going to lead people here and there, <laughs> just a couple, <laughs> um, you know, the electrification of things are starting to, uh, lead, uh, towards lithium as a, as a battery source. And so we're, we're recycling those as well, uh, and have, have an upcoming footprint on that, uh, globally. So EcoBat, um, like say is you don't hear about it cause you're, we're not on the shelves at Walmart necessarily, right. but we are behind the scenes moving, uh, what needs to get recycled back into to new usage and, and for the betterment of society as a whole. Wow, man, I tell you what, uh, you know, we're, we deal with tech talent, you know, we're machine learning, data analysts, data science, AI, all this sort of thing, you know, development, developers. Um, but you're talking about where you sit as a CIO, 
using technology, whether it's IT and I, I kind of separate, even though there's overlap between IT and tech, you know, mm. they used to be kind of one and the same, but it's really computing power and platforms and, and have given rise to taking the theory of things like machine learning and AI over the decades and turning it into something that's more of a practical reality. Uh, yeah. So I look at it a little bit differently, I think, than a lot of people do. But you're sitting in the chair as a CIO where you're using tech, as I think of it, I'm sure, to impact what you all do with modern technology and the circular economy. I mean, there's got to mm-hmm. be huge opportunities for applying these this uh, uh, technology we have today to how we recycle these batteries and not just because it's it's not just a moving metal kind of business, I guess, is my point. There's got to be all kinds of things you could do today that maybe couldn't have been done five or ten years ago. Yeah, I definitely think there's a synergy across the word technology that's occurring today. If you think about if you think about the electric uh, vehicle, you know, the, the, the car mm-hmm. itself has taken more of a of a premium on the battery inside that vehicle, as well as the computer inside that vehicle than say the steel or the plastic that goes into the door frames or the or the right. other parts of the car mm-hmm. um, so technology has only increased in value in that application and so when you think about uh, assembling those products and or disassembling those products for recycling the technology is embedded right there you've got the engineering that goes into the computer into the to the uh, the smarts of the car and, and really the life of that battery as well as the technology to disassemble and, and kind of melt the battery back into its core components and then put it back in the cycle again. So I think I think IT has kind of commandeered the word technology too much in the last uh, few decades. Technology really is, mm. to me, a, a bit of reimagination or re, reengineering of tomorrow's innovation. But through what we do, these batteries, EV, you know, recycling, circular economy, it's all starting to blend and it's very fascinating. How hard is it to go out and find somebody who understands what you do? If you're looking to bring somebody in, you know, to your, the CIO organization, for example, when you start thinking about talent, how hard is it to find people who have been kind of been there and done that? They understand what you're trying to do. They understand and buy into the mission of the company, but at the same time, they bring that specific experience uh, that can be a value add value impact to what you do. Well, um, I always look uh, for folks that are value or that know the value of their time because time is really all we have and where we spend it is of utmost importance. And I found that some of the best hires are folks that want to be with the problem. You know, I I think I've been Mm -hmm. I've personally served across seven different industries in my tenure or in my career. And I found each industry to be very fascinating with certain types of problems and applying technology as solutions to those problems was really, that was really what I enjoyed in my career. You know, I, I enjoy the hand tool business. I enjoy the commercial security business. I enjoy the metallurgy business and the circular economy business that I'm in right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was in the chemical industry for about nine years as well. And they all had different problems to solve, but I, I realized over my career that the, the most the most uh, functional, successful time was when I was with the problem, solving the problem, deploying digital solutions. And it really didn't matter what industry it was in. It, that, that was the craft. So I, I look for right. people in you know, that share that kind of same affinity for problem solving and using digital uh, to help businesses scale. 
Um, because the truth of the matter is digital scales and people don't. So if you, if you want to run a, a, a professional or say, uh, more than professional, but, uh, profitable, uh, a business, uh, you need to leverage digital and you need to come, you need your digital to come alongside the people that you're hiring to help them be better at what they do. Yeah. All fair points. And I think all, all accurate. So now you got me thinking, you know, you've worked in seven different industries couple of which I know uh, pretty well from, from being a headhunter. Um, tell us a little bit about what that journey's looked like for you to get where you are today, right? Because I, I know it's not easy to go necessarily from one context to another context, mm-hmm. but it's not always about the industry that makes it a challenge. I mean, you can learn, you can learn the chemical business and you can learn, uh, the power tool business or hand tools or whatever it might be. There's a lot, you know, there to learn, but there's, there's a shift in context and how each company in those different industries go about their business. Right. And when I, I refer to that as cultures, how you go about your business. And mm-hmm. so I'm curious, you've been through seven or you're in number seven, right? You're not on, you're not on number eight and high, and, and, uh, but you've, you've been around the block with that. I mean, how have you found that transition to be and, and what kind of challenges, or obstacles do you think uh, a lot of people encounter shifting from culture to culture across industries? Well, it's got to start at the center and at the heart of the person being a continuous learner. I mean, you, you have to look around the world and say, how can digital help in this regard? You know, you roll mm-hmm. through a hospital system, you realize it's imperfect. You've got imperfect people working with imperfect data on imperfect systems, leading to an imperfect process and probably a poor experience. And you got to say to yourself, this has got to be better. So we need to find people that are looking for that level of transformation to better. And we get to define Mm -hmm. what better looks like based on, you know, the expectations of the customer and the industry. And so that does that does differ. And so as you jump industries, you've got to be able you've got to be ready and willing to flip your brain and bring that continuous learning mindset. And really, I'd say curiosity um, and a growth mindset to say, what we've done before may not work here, and what got us here may not get us there. And so we need to be able to stretch our mindset and say, okay, let's think outside the box here. Uh, we're in a different industry, we're in a different problem set, but you know what, ERP is still a thing. Having a yeah. business on a platform with 80% of its commercial trade uh, recognized inside of that, you know, be able to wield that data for better analytics and profitability uh, is key. Well, how about CRM or how about uh, PLM or EAM or, you know, some of the uh, other acronym uh, that I can throw out there is, is these platforms are enablers, regardless of the industry you're in, to serve your customers, to manage your working capital uh, and to drive uh, profitability. Uh, the key is getting people that want to be with that problem that have come together from different industries, maybe with some creativity to solve those problems. Uh, maybe in a different fashion, but having that curious kind of growth mindset and uh, continuous learning mindset up front. Well, they're bringing some diversity of thought to the table as well, Mm -hmm. you know, coming from different industries. And, you know, it's been a recurring theme. I think in every episode we've recorded when we talk about characteristics or qualities of talent that we look for, right, that that we found tend to – trend into success, I guess you could say, in almost any position, almost any industry. One of the words I hear over and over and over again is curiosity. 
you know, and I don't, I don't know. I mean, I could, I've kind of wrestled with a thought, you know, cause curiosity, it's not just a product, I guess you could say of, of IQ of intellect in the sense of, well, the higher someone's IQ is, for example, the more curious they are. Cause I found sometimes that's just not the case, but it's almost like this instinctive drive that kicks in and goes, wait a second, how does that work and why? Uh, you know, and I'm, I'm curious when you interview someone, for example, and I know what I coach candidates to do, right? When it comes to curiosity, you need to demonstrate it by asking great questions. You need to maybe perhaps you could demonstrate it by saying, hey, I was curious. I took on a side project and you can go out here and see a model I developed that addresses X, whatever X is. What do you look for that tells you, hey, this candidate, this person I may have bring into my organization to help Ecobat move forward or, or whichever company it is, what do you look for that tells you, hey, this is somebody who has a, a driven curiosity to understand the why and how to do things better? Well, you know, m managers manage, leaders lead, and contributors contribute. And there's different pay points for those types of roles from, you know, as demonstrated in the compensation rules of the marketplace. And what right. I look for in, in, in the hiring may be a contributor, it may be a leader, uh, but, but what's being continually commoditized is the manager. And mm -hmm. so the hunger is indicated, you know, sometimes during an interview process based on the questions. You know, is this person coming across as insightful through their questions? Are they seeing an angle that I don't see to better the business? Or are they simply just trying to fill out the qualifications of a role to contribute? And, yeah. um, you know, I just, it, it's, you can discern that in the interview itself. Um, but what drives that curiosity, I think, is some form of leadership. Somebody that's hungry for something that is yet to be attained, or at least they're curious enough to ask questions as to what is possible to be attained. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they're largely in a contributor role. And, you know, those are, let's say they, those compensate a little bit less than maybe the leadership or somebody that's out to drive transformation, you know, to look for some yeah. sort of success that the company's not been able to deliver amongst itself so far. Yeah. And that's, I think a lot of people miss that. One of my pet peeves, I usually don't talk about my pet peeves on these <laughs> podcasts. You have I'm a pet talk about peeves? This one. <laughs> yeah. And let me tell you, sometimes he's just gnawing on my pant leg. Um, you know, when you look a lot at, at job descriptions that are written and putting out on the web or, or they're put out on Monster, Indeed, Dice, wherever it might be, they list, hey, here's a little blurb about the company. Oh, we're fantastic. Rah, rah, rah. And then it'll have something like, here's responsibilities for this role. Here are the requirements, qualifications. Oh, and we're an equal opportunity employer, blah, blah, blah. And when you get resumes in, those resumes uh, generally follow a similar format. Here's a little blurb about me. Please do not, general PSA, kill an objective statement on your resume and put a professional or executive summary, please. Call it a teammate. Tell me about yourself. Um, anyway, side note. But resumes tend to follow. Here's my title. Here's the company. And look, here are my responsibilities I've fulfilled. And... Years ago, I would sit back and in my mind and not trying to be offensive to anyone, but I'd kind of think, so what? You know, we know what an analyst in, in this particular space does, or we know what a, a controller over here does, or we know what, you know, desktop support does, or we know whatever. So you're rehashing what we see out a million times over and over again on every job site and every company that's recruiting for something like this. And how, to, how does a company, how does someone reading that resume really know what your capabilities are? 
And uh, whenever I talk to a client and we have to work with them to develop, especially an early stage client, to develop a job description, I always like to turn it into a narrative. And you can put requirements and responsibilities, but let's put it here. What are the expectations? What do you want to accomplish in the first six months or 12 months? What are the major projects where you, Mr. Miss Candidate, is going to come in here and deliver value impact to the company where you can kind of hang your hat as it were that you accomplish this uh, because there's nothing compelling. There's nothing attractive about here's my list of responsibilities. It's like a grocery list. Yeah. Good grief. And the only thing that happens if you deliver everything on the grocery list, you're okay. But if you come back home and you miss three items, you failed. Well, I want to do more than a grocery list personally. And I think candidates want to do more than a grocery list. They want more than that. They want to be a part of something bigger. And you've touched on that, I think, several times already about being part of the EcoBat mission, what you're trying to do in the world and the circular economy and bringing, making it less necessary for us to drill into the ground or dig into the ground and pull up lithium, for example. Uh, you know, that's, I think that's huge. And I'm, I'm fascinated. It would be a whole nother podcast. And we probably need to bring a Kimmy in and maybe a double E <laughs> to talk about how does that process work? Cause that's going to be an involved and challenging process on a good day. Um, so yeah, that's just, that's just one of my, I had to go on that rant there for a second. Cause I, I really think when we get candidates and from my perspective, a client or hiring team to talk about, you know, their impact mm -hmm. and people buy into that impact. And on their resume, they show what we call the star principle, situation, task, action, and then a quantified result, you know, and you can bring that forward. Man, that's some of the, those are some of the best interviews I've ever sat in on is when people are talking that length, when they're talking about themselves and the company and the opportunity at that level, instead of this base level, Hey, here are just your responsibilities. Have a nice day. Yeah, I, think, I like um, that. I think I think you'd find their passion might come out more in that example uh, of questions. Uh, they get to talk a little bit about their successes, part of the details right. inside the successes, rather than just, you know, hey, this is what I'm respons responsible for, as you said. I mean, I you know, you got responsibilities as a as a spouse or as a, a parent or as a or whatever the role might be, and you're expected to deliver on those, but. To me, if you have a great attitude about it, you're genuinely curious, you're passionate about doing better, improving things, you do more than that. And people need to talk about it, I think, from both sides of the table. You know, and I like that when we started off, we're, you know, I'm always cautious, you know, when we're dealing with, with uh, uh, guests who may be in, in sensitive positions or, you know, publicly traded uh, company responsibilities. But I thought, man, EcoPad, this is pretty cool stuff. You know, I want to get that out on the table if we can. Don't need to know trade secrets, but man, what do y'all do? Yeah. Because so much of it isn't out there. And I'm look, I come down firmly on the side. I believe that we should, in a in a responsible way, uh, take advantage of the natural resources we have. At the same time, if you can reuse that natural resource time mm. and time and time again, to where you don't have to go. Uh, take advantage of it. Um, that's something you got to investigate and explore. And if it's viable, you got to you got to run with it. I think, and that's to me that's fascinating because a lot of companies and I think a lot of people don't think that way. When we have our cell phone and it goes kaput on us, what do we do? Right, the trash. 
trying to, or, you know, turn it. Oh yeah. You're going to give me a $60 credit. Thanks AT&T or whoever it might be, you know, I mean, goodness, if we could take that battery and I'm sure the companies have something like this that they do, but if we could take that battery and get it to where it operates and instead of a hundred percent of its original life, maybe it has 80% of its original life. But that means instead of lasting for two years, it lasts for a year and eight or nine months. That means there's a year and eight or nine months where I don't need to go get a new battery, which requires new raw materials mm-hmm. way at the beginning of the supply chain. No, that's right. And that, that's part of the that's part of the challenge with society is getting uh, us accustomed to recycling electronics, you know, things, mm-hmm. and, and of course, batteries uh, for Ecobat, but um, that that's not in everyone's DNA around the world right now. Uh, some cultures right. have it better than others. Some cultures have bins that are in the office and you're supposed to bring your batteries there and, and, and dump them and they pay to have them cleaned up and, and taken out and so forth. Uh, but uh, so that but that will come around no, no different than you know online shopping became a thing over over two decades and became a very big you know thing in comp- comp- competition mm-hmm. is there will be a recycling competition as well and and ecobat's poised uh, to be right there on top of batteries so when you all are doing batteries and you hear lead acid i think car batteries uh heavy equipment batteries things of that nature um and we mentioned you know ev batteries but do y'all work on smaller lithium batteries or smaller general batteries as well? Mm-hmm. So, so uh, some of our customers send us uh, different types. I'll say there's about 20 mm-hmm. different chemistries when it comes to lithium alone, uh, and the battery. Um, you know, we talked about the word technology to start. The battery technology is evolving uh, as we speak. As we sit here, there are new types being introduced with faster charge times and longer. Uh, say direct, you know, longer uh, mileage on 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 where the EV uh, battery would take the car, uh, mm-hmm. but our customers provide uh, all all types, and some of them we actually repair and send back to the customers because, you know, call it an 800 pound EV battery might be something that uh, you know an uh, automotive OEM wants back to redeploy into either research and design or the cars that they're servicing. I don't, I don't know where the battery trend is going to go, but I know there's a lot more in terms of legs to that industry if you can reuse over and over again. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. and like you said, it requires people to have a lo- different, different mindset on responsibility. Uh, you know, and I think that's critical. I'm curious, and again, not not wanting to pry into anything confidential, mm-hmm. uh, but I am curious when you look at tech from from my perspective and you're thinking about machine learning you're thinking about data science you're thinking about ai are there applications that you all are working on that are known uh again no trade secrets that where these uh this side of the technology if you will can impact positively the the circular economy as as uh, where you're involved in yeah i i mean it's this is of course public information but the the european union is moving on um what's called eco design and mm-hmm. it's a it's a policy kind of put forward as a draft um i'm not sure it's entirely accepted just yet but the thought is that we would extend the data model uh for uh the circular economy to include things like batteries whereby uh we would trade between partners um supplier customer that type of thing uh mm-hmm. and that the the materials on that truck if they're spent batteries or new batteries or or maybe some other type of uh, commodity in the supply chain 
you would know all the data qualities about that um, about that uh, product. And so the balance of all of that movement across the supply chain would be innovative because you could essentially tell how much cobalt, how much manganese, you know, lithium, if, for example, lead or whatever might be in your societal system um, in wherever it may be. So by geography. So we're looking at that. I, that's kind of an innovative approach from government that's pushing mm-hmm. policy potentially. Um, and and you can look it up and take a read on it. But uh, Ecobat will be right there with with our capabilities uh, to, wow. to accommodate. So I was I was wondering, too, if there's bound to be ways that as you look at battery, maybe not so much where Ecobat sits, but upstream and battery design and development, they've got to be using machine learning and AI to figure out, hey, how can we get this to be more efficient, uh, you know, to make them last longer, uh, to make it uh, a friendlier product, I guess you could say. Um, what do you see looking out across the market today? Now, of course, we're talent centric, but we're not limited to that and how we look at things. Um, that's just a lens, if you will. But I'm, I'm curious, when you look out across the market today, what do you see happening over the next three to five years uh, with tech really taking off? And like you said, battery design, if you will, is evolving constantly. Well, generative AI just hit in mm-hmm. a big way uh, here recently this year. You know, how do you see the market when it starts, not just in general terms, but when we're talking about the market for for talent and the people that you would need at a place like EcoBat or really any company to drive things forward? How do you see that evolving uh, as this, this technology evolves over the next few years? Well, you know, there, the, uh, for the last decade or so, there was a big push on data scientists. Oh, everybody's got to hire a data scientist, right? I think, I think the market underfed that capacity. Um, mm-hmm. And now we've moved so fast that the AI tools are kind of in the back pockets of anybody that wants to access them. So I think the talent marketplace is going to jump from, you know, rocket scientist data, you know, science level of uh, concern to can people just leverage the tool set? Do they know how to do they know how to make use of the application? And I think it's going to go in this order. I think most companies are going to leverage things like Viva Insights from Microsoft, which is Mm -hmm. kind of that co-pilot model where it comes, you know, because companies really need the productivity of their labor base today. So everybody, let's say the majority of co- corporations, public and private, are, are largely using the Windows desktop still as a platform. They're using Office 365 uh, globally. So you have this huge swath of people in the world that already are attached to Office 365 that have Viva Insights. And they're going to be trying to figure out, what do I do with this thing that studies me, that studies mm-hmm. my team, that studies the organization? How can I make use of my time? How can we have better effective meetings? How can I get analytics on the productivity of my teams to say maybe we need to shift the organization? I call that kind of the co-pilot approach. We're not on autopilot just yet, but as people uh, start to leverage the application of that type of tool, I think they're going to start to become more inclined to how do we automate certain things that are kind of Mm -hmm. mundane tasks. I don't think they just jump to full uh, autopilot and don't go through co-pilot. People people are typically a little bit skeptical and they want to study it a little bit before they accept it wholesale into the change of their organization. 
And I, you know, we're doing that. Um, I, I, the customers I talked to from Microsoft are doing some of the same Microsoft's uh, in that particular line of Viva Insights, that product. Uh, they're offering uh, information more and more. You saw Microsoft Copilot come out. They've got product pricing on that. You can have your own kind of jet GPT world now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I would say talent is getting accustomed to that, getting accustomed to the Copilot application of AI than they are, say, diving into full-on machine learning. Now, if you take a Google, for example, that's been at machine learning for years, um, you know, you do have more of a data science uh, sort of role baked into that uh, company. Uh, mm-hmm. Have the rest of companies been able to deploy such capabilities? I don't think so in general. Uh, but the, I, as I say, the, and friends of mine say, the juice has to be worth the squeeze. So right. if there's nothing to apply, then you're just spending in a direction that isn't going to yield any fruit. That may be okay right. on an R&D basis in an industry where you have a lot of margin, you have a lot of cash flow. Maybe you can spend like that on an experimental basis. Uh, but where you don't in other industries that are more commoditized, you're not going to have that. So the best you're going to probably get to is the co-pilot piece for your people up front. But if you can get them down to the machine learning and finally get on to the autopilot side of life, then you're going to experience predict- predictability. You're going to experience what it means to have the computer talk to you about your data without people having to interpret those those data points for yourself and it's going to lead to a whole bunch of questions and in the questions lies opportunity because the data brings insights and hopefully you can gather some of those opportunities and the and the people and the talent that uh, we're hiring these days will be able to take advantage of them well we hope so right and that's the thing i think uh the talent marketplace has to evolve and keep pace Mm -hmm. now and you and I know when you you climb a mountain, you never go straight up, right? You stop, mm-hmm. you have a plateau, you hit a mesa, you hit a shoulder, you got to go around a ravine, you got to traverse or whatever. And um, I don't think it'll be straight line, but I absolutely agree with you on the application side. In fact, uh, months ago, uh, I remember having conversations telling people it's not so much that AI, generative AI is hitting the marketplace. It's how are we going to use it? It's the application mm-hmm. we're going to make thereof. And and the fact is, I read a great article, uh, I believe it was Harvard Business Review, uh, a while back, and it said that we're moving from a creator economy to an editor economy. And, you know, it kind of, it resonated with me from the standpoint that when I use AI, for example, to generate uh, an outreach campaign for candidates, and it turns up the messages and, you know, text and email and uh, social media and, you know, in the subject line, it populates that and so on and so forth. It probably does 70 or 80% of the work. I got to go in and I got to spot check it. I got to edit it. I got to gussy it up to use an old word and make it look attractive to the audience because AI doesn't understand empathy. You know, it doesn't understand the emotional attraction. You know, we tend to make a decision then look for things to buttress that decision. So we have an emotional bias toward things that buttress our decisions and mm-hmm. uh, a negative bias to those things that we perceive as a threat to our decision. And that's where, you know, one of the hardest works of being, jobs of being human is discerning between the two, being aware enough, self-aware enough to have the discipline to, even though I don't like not buttressing my decision, maybe I need to look at my, my premises. Maybe my decision was wrong and I need to rethink it. Yeah. Um, and that's a challenge for us. Um, computer systems, AI as we know it, machine learning as we know it, is still 
good in, good out, garbage in, garbage out. You know, uh, two points. Uh, data. Yeah, two points. I'll, I agree with you that the AI has you know no ability for empathy right now, which also means on the flip side, it has no ability for influence. So the, the human is very necessary in relationships and discerning what to do with the data um, mm-hmm. that's been, um, I'll say, crafted for, for us, for them. Um, and then, uh, you know, leveraging that is, is a whole different skill set uh, to, to hire for. And you, met, you put your finger on the word bias. Um, you know, good candidates will have some um, a discernment amongst themselves to understand that their thinking is biased in a way. And we have to be right. open to new thinking and perspectives and shared diversity of opinion, if you will. Um, and so I look for that in hiring as well. But that's especially important with the onset of AI. I know everybody today finishes their sentences with the word AI. And every, AI can do this and that. And <laughs> AI is landing in sentences that make in them my sense. my emails at the end of every sentence, it says dot AI. I mean, right. everything I said. <laughs> it's just, we'll just solve it with AI. Great. Let's get started. And it's that hard first step that people go, now what? So you have to understand, you know, on this topic of AI, I, I really see it in twofold right now. You have your large language learning model side, and then you have mm-hmm. really the statistical probabilities and machine learning side. And the two of those together make up, you know, in, in a simple story, what what is chat GPT? And you have people tweaking algorithms behind the scenes to keep it from saying racial things or or get into political, you know, nonsense right. or whatever. Uh, what they what do they call the hallucinations? Um, you, you know, that maybe that's the editor economy you refer to with Harvard Business Review is is that, you know, it's less about creation, creativity from AI than than editing models to kind of refine how the whole economy and the systems work that support that economy. I hope that's not the case. I hope that it's more than that, because I think there's a whole lot still left to create. Uh, and AI isn't the final frontier, if you will, for humanity. Uh, but no. we do need to use it as a tool for our betterment. And um, some of the talent we're seeking to do that will hopefully come into our companies and service our needs, especially in Ecobat, uh, you know, where our role is to uh, is to be a sustainable circular economy in the world of batteries. Yeah, that's a such a big role, uh, truly. And I think the talent will be there. I just don't think it'll be there in a straight line. You know, um, I think that there are fears in the marketplace of being replaced or displaced by all things AI because, you know, it's kind of the boogeyman around the corner, both good and bad. It's the superhero and the villain, if if you will, in a sense. But, you know, to your point about the editor economy, how long we're going to be there, I think you have to be there today. But I think in three years, that could be something different. And as AI evolves and the algorithms become more nuanced, more advanced, and the data sets are structured in such a way that they're digesting them. And AI might be your PA, your personal assistant, but they could take on by virtue of digesting your data sets. They could take on your persona, for example, when writing an email, crafting a memo, you know, answering questions and provide you with stuff where you have to just check off and approve it. But I think that relationship reflects something you just touched on is that these are more tools in a toolkit. These aren't replacing humanity. These aren't replacing, you know, the software in our brain that allows us to have things like empathy, that allows us to 
place an emotional value on an action or a series of actions that we may or may not take or that someone else takes. Um, and I think that is probably the right way to view AI. It's a tool, but it's one that we're going to have to get pretty sophisticated in understanding on how to use that tool properly. It's not a hammer where we go around and everything's a nail. It's You're right. not even it's not even a Swiss Army knife, although I think it would be really cool if we could just pull out different blades and corkscrews and get things done. It's just it's it's a very nuanced tool that requires sophistication and curiosity and a willingness to team up with it, I guess you could say, for lack of a better phrase, uh, in order to accomplish things that we have from here rather than uh, what maybe is spit out to us on a screen. You're making me feel philosophical here, Jamie. <laughs> it's hard not to go there with, with such big topics, but if you bring it back to the tools and application, uh, you know, it's a CIO's role in every company to to ensure that the AI is, it, however it's deployed, is actually getting traction for its for its study. Right. If you're going to spend resources in that direction, it, it needs to have some level of return. Um, and I think everybody's early on their journey with that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, before we wrap up, I'm curious. You know, considering where we started and asking a little bit about where you're at with EcoBat and, at, you know, as CIO there and the fact that you've crossed multiple industries, uh, worn a lot of different hats. You know, if someone is out there uh, who maybe is dialing into the podcast, I haven't asked this question of anybody yet, so I'm going to ask it of you. Uh, so I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. But if you were, if you were looking at somebody and maybe... Let's not use your age. We'll use my age. I've got more gray hanging around, I think. But if I were to go back and talk to a doppelganger or someone similar to me, but you know, 20, 25 years ago, and I knew this is the direction they wanted to go, you know, what are, what are the, what are the top three things, be it skills or experiences, what are the top three things that you would go back and, and tell younger self, okay, you need to experience this or you need to succeed or fail at that other thing um, that would really enhance that journey and help somebody along the road to where perhaps they become a CIO or a CISO or a CTO or whatever it may be. <laughs> and specific to that space, not going into other parts of the C-suite, but specific to that space. Well, I got one funny one. Don't buy lottery tickets. They very rarely get. <laughs> Well, if it does hit, you don't need the the CIO title anymore, I guess. That's right. If you do buy one and it does hit, good, good luck. If you don't, then follow these three steps. So <laughs> I'd say uh, number one is go out and serve people. Uh, try That's and good. build a mindset that is people first, technology second. Uh, because without people, businesses don't exist and businesses exist to serve people. So you have to get the people side of it right. Technology pushed on top of people without purpose is, is dead tech, tech. So, you know, go out and be a service to people in, in, in your early career. Learn through your relationships, build that empathy, keep the curiosity and gain mm -hmm. uh, an ability to be influential if you're truly trying to drive good out there. Uh, the second thing is take the machine apart. Get a computer, get a screwdriver and undo mm -hmm. everything spread it out on the table and go, what the heck does this do? Have that sort of hmm. curious uh, growth in learning um, 
opportunity just just to understand because they don't teach that anymore. And part of yeah. that is part and parcel for good engineering and data and technology and information is all information engineering. Um, you know, that's key. And the last piece is study the money where the money flows, the industry goes. Right. And so I, I really think that, you know, having a good accounting mindset to what we do with technology leads to the promise of investments and selling those investments to C-suites uh, and making sure that there there is the juice is worth the squeeze. There is a return out there. This, mm-hmm. this data data is the fuel of tomorrow's business. And, uh, you know, as IT professionals, we get to curate that data. Our businesses get to enjoy it uh, and set the fuel on fire, if you will, so that they can go out and be more profitable in the industry. And uh, and that's, you know, those are my three takeaways, I'd say. Um, make sure you're hitting on all those points. No, that's terrific. Jamie, thank you very much for sharing that. And I will... Uh... I don't know if I'm going to get the production company to turn that one into a videogram or not, but that's a, that's something maybe to preamble, you know, when we prep candidates, Hey, this is what somebody has been there, done that recommends. Are you, are you being there? And are you doing that? Uh, Jamie Lee, chief information officer. Thank you so much for joining us today. Recycle your batteries. (laughs) We'll do. (laughs) You've been listening to drowning in the tech talent pool. This podcast is sponsored by Sabretooth. Sabretooth improves the quality of hire and speeds up the time to fill specialized machine learning, data engineering, data science, and developer roles, stretching tech recruiting budgets further by bringing the precision of retained search and the speed of contingent search to the market in one complete solution. Find out more at sbr2th.com and follow me, John Light on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.